HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The Heritage End of Year Fund Drive is officially on. Become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This episode of A Taste of the Past is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, encouraging you to eat healthfully and nutritionally. Visit bobsredmill.com to learn more about their products. And use the code TASTE25 for 25% off your order. And welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. And here we are at the holiday season. In fact, this is our last show before the midwinter break for Heritage Radio Network. So I thought we would do a special holiday show. And what struck my attention was the Feast of the Seven Fishes. Now, I'm sure a lot of you have heard that mentioned before around Christmas Eve. Um, And in fact, the Feast of the Seven Fishes is known as an Italian tradition. Well, if you're in Italy and you asked a few people, you'd probably get some quizzical looks or maybe a shrug of the shoulder because in fact, it's probably more American or at least Italian-American. It is, of course, not found on the Roman Catholic calendar of feast days, which is where we usually find all those kinds of holidays. So I decided to talk to somebody who would shed some light on it, or at least lend her hypothesis to where this all began and what it's all about. My guest today grew up in a southern Italian family in New York and knows a thing or two about Christmas Eve feasts. She made a career of writing and teaching about Italian and Italo-American cooking. She is Michelle Chicolone. Michelle is a food writer, cooking instructor, and author of more than 17 books, many of them on Italian and Italo-American cooking. Some of the more recent books are A Thousand Italian Recipes, The Italian Slow Cooker, The French Slow Cooker, the Mediterranean slow cooker. Yeah, she had a thing for slow cookers. She actually kind of started out that whole trend. And the Italian vegetable cookbook. She also, I have to mention, co-authored the Sopranos uh, family cookbook. 
everyone, if you remember The Sopranos, that was, that was quite hot, yes. Uh, she wrote The Sopranos Family Cookbook, and she also wrote a book called Italian Holiday Cooking. So there we go right to the heart of things, and that's a lot of food, Michelle. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to be here with you, Linda. So first of all, when we start, tell me a little bit about your family background, about growing up and, and where your family was from. Well, my, my family uh, was from the Naples area. Um, all of my grandparents were uh, from around Naples. On my mother's side, uh, it was the town of Afragola, which is very close to Naples. I think it's just to the north. And my father's family was from a, a tiny island off the coast of Naples uh, that most, most people haven't heard of. It's called Procida. And um, that's where they came from. So uh, uh, the traditions that my grandparents brought with them were very close to our hearts. And so we always celebrated uh, Christmas very seriously, Christmas and Christmas Eve. And well, so Christmas Eve you celebrated, but was it then called in your memory from the beginning the Feast of Seven Fishes? No, no, not at all. We, we ate a lot of fish on Christmas Eve. That was the tradition, and it was part of, because it was La Vigilia, that was how we knew it, that is the, the vigil, the day before Christmas Day, and it was a day of abstinence, so we would not eat meat, and uh, we were supposed, it was supposed to be a little bit of a hardship to refrain from eating meat, and we would have fish and seafood instead, but over the, the years, it became something really quite bountiful, and we all looked forward to this magnificent uh, seafood and uh, fish feast that we had. Now, I, uh, as far as I know, I did a lot of research on the the title, uh, that name, the Feast of the Seven Fishes, which is really very charming and very engaging, uh, but uh, no one anywhere in Italy uses that term. And it's my uh, guess that having worked, you know, for food magazines for many years, that it was some very clever editor somewhere along the line who needed a great cover line. You know, it's not enough to say seafood dinner, Italian seafood <laughs> dinner. They needed something really catchy. And so I think that they that's how that title, The Feast of the Seven Fishes, came about. Um, because nobody adhered to seven fishes. Some, some families said, oh, we have 13 fishes. It's for the 12 apostles plus one. Or uh, seven fishes were for the seven sacraments. There were, there were a lot of different variations on that theme. I don't think anyone ever ate uh, specifically seven fishes. But it's, it's clever and it's catchy and it, it stuck very, uh, very well. Well, there's no question about the fact that it's it's a wonderful feast. It's a wonderful, a charming tradition, as you said. It's you know it's a charming title too. Yeah. Um, and the stories abound. I mean, if you go and, and do you know research or talk to different people of, of different families, they have for sure the you know the origin, what the seven stands for, and what yeah. what fishes you have to serve. Well, let's talk about the number seven. Where why why do you think it came? What was the seven all about? I mean, there's a lot of hypothes, hypotheses on that as well. Well, as I said, the seven sacraments, and so uh, that, and, and certain numbers in uh, in southern Italy are considered lucky numbers, you know. So seven uh, for the seven sacraments is uh, something that uh, would have caught 
the attention, you know, would have would have captured people's uh, imagination as far as why they needed to do that. Right, right. Um, and I've, I mean, I've heard stories about this. There's seven hills in Rome. There, oh, you know, the, the, I've never heard that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, and here I, I had some notes and I thought, yeah, there's seven, the seven hills of Rome, the, um, the seven apostles, right? No, there's 12 no, apostles. 12 apostles. <laughs> seven, seven, we'll get to the seven. Uh, there's some, I had some numbers written down here, and uh-huh. we'll talk about the sevens, but anyway, that doesn't matter, because they are, obviously, as you say, kind of meaningless. Oh, seven sacraments, right? Oh, and God created the heavens and the earth in seven, in seven days. days. Oh, right. okay. sure. So there, yeah. that, I knew there was another seven in there somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, and... Yeah, from what I heard, I mean, when when this started, whether they started calling it, as you mentioned, I think the I think that makes a lot of sense that, you know, a, a marketing term, you know, to yes. make this a wonder. But of course, people brought their traditions to this country in the early 1900s with the wave of immigration. I yes. mean, they brought their traditions, right? Oh yes, absolutely. <clears throat> but uh, as I said, we always had lots and lots of fish, but. But there was never a set number of fish. So, for example, our meal would begin with a wonderful seafood salad, and <clears throat> that would have uh, shrimp and uh, calamari and um, uh, octopus in it, uh, and that would be dressed with lemon and olive oil and a little bit of garlic and parsley. It's a wonderful salad. And then uh, there would be a separate salad. They always kept it separate with scungili. And scungili is, in English, we would call it conch or conch. And it's a, it's a sea snail of some kind. And we only had it on uh, that um, a holiday. And that, too, would be served in a salad, although uh, I had an aunt who would make it in a hot sauce, in a, in a hot tomato sauce with lots of chili in it. And uh, that would be served over hard biscuits. Uh, uh, so those were two possible appetizers that we would have. And uh, we also had clams, loads and loads of baked clams with uh, a breadcrumb, oregano stuffing, breadcrumb, garlic, parsley, cheese, olive oil. And then um, uh, we would have our pasta, and the pasta was usually spaghetti with lobster sauce. (laughs) So you can see this is where this meal is going. Stretching stretching the fish to every traditional dish that you could imagine, right? Oh, well, absolutely. It was... This was the biggest uh, feast of the year at, at my house. I remember my father would just go all out. He loved to cook, and he'd bring home all this wonderful seafood. And our main course, uh, generally there was a choice of bacala, or um, we would have the lobster tails, because just the claws and the bodies would be used to make the uh, sauce for the pasta. And uh, then we'd move on to uh, desserts, <laughs> which is another topic altogether. Well, please, no fish in the dessert, right? <laughs> no, no, heaven, heaven right. forbid. Well, um, actually, you know, and I'm thinking more about what you said um, about a magazine, possibly a magazine writer, you know, doing their spread for the for the holidays. I think somebody did a search that said the earliest mention. I mean, the holiday supposedly was. Um, first 
celebrated in America in, in the 1900s. But then again, that was probably just a big fish dinner on Christmas Eve. But yes. the earliest mention of the feast supposedly was in the New York Times, and that dates back only to 1987. Wow. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Now, I don't know how accurate that is. I mm. mean, you know, looking around, trying to find, you know, digging around for different um, citations. That was the earliest one that someone could come up with as being appearing in print. That's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was researching uh, my book, The Italian Holiday Cooking, uh, I went to Italy and I traveled uh, quite a bit. And everywhere I went, I asked people uh, how they celebrated the holiday. And it was always a, a, some kind of a fish meal, but no one ever, no one ever said, oh, no, we, all, we always have seven fishes. It must be seven fishes. And, and no one ever called it the Feast of the Seven Fishes. So it's definitely an, an American innovation or, you know, a, a, a title that was given to the feast. Uh, I, but it would be interesting to figure out who it was that first came up with it. Right. Could have been the New York Times. I don't know. Yeah. Well, food and family, I mean, that's, that's very important, very important in, in uh, most family traditions. But the Italians take the food to another level, usually. Oh, sure. <laughs> You know what? Uh, also, one thing I have to say that when I came back from from uh, Italy after this trip, where I was convinced that this was an American innovation to call it the Feast of the Seven Fishes, I was very, very hesitant to tell people this because uh, so many Italian Americans just took it as gospel that this was an Italian tradition. It had to be seven different fishes, and <laughs> it, it really caught the imagination of people here, and uh, definitely not in Italy, but yeah, yeah. here. Well, and you mentioned the, um, the special types that were usually in your family, but if, I mean, it seems to me there were some that always had to be present from, from the readings that I've done to mm-hmm. research it. If there were actually seven, I mean, like three or four that were definites, are there three or four that you could think would be definite well, definitely bacala, put a definite appearance in salt cod, bacala. Okay, bacala. Uh, and, and how would that be prepared? Well, different ways. Uh, it could either have been uh, fried in a batter, or cooked in a tomato sauce with olives and potatoes. Would be another way yes. to uh, yes. uh, prepare it. Uh, those are the most typical ones that I know. Or it could be whipped into um, a kind of a brandade mm-hmm. style. Uh, whipped up like that and served on on uh, crostini. Um, those are the most typical ways that I know of. Um, and there may be a tomato-less version as well, uh, a kind of a stewed bacala, but without tomato. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are certainly typical. Uh, and uh, the other one is uh, capitone, which is um, eel. Uh, my family did not cook it. I don't know if they didn't like it or what the story was, but I know lots of people who, uh, whose families made eel, and they would come home from, from school or wherever they'd been for the day and find the eels swimming in the um, uh, um, bathtub to their <laughs> horror because they had to be kept fresh. Right. And, um, but my family did not uh, uh, have the eels. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I'm sure oh, it, it varies from family to family and where and where the, those families originally came from. Exactly. It's definitely very regional, and it, it depends on what kind of fish they could find. You know, in the South, they had access to many more varieties of fish uh, than in, in northern Italy, where it would be colder and they'd be further from the sea. All right. Well, I know um, you mentioned Bacalan. It just brings back memories of... Uh, when uh, I first moved back to New York from Rome. Well, you know, it's funny because I lived in Rome for a long time. And when I came back to New York, years later, someone mentioned, well, then you must know about the Feast of Seven Fishes. And I'm thinking, <laughs> did I miss something in all those years I was living in Rome? I never heard of it. And I, you know, I looked at my husband. I said, did we, were we like missing something major? <laughs> so I was, I was actually a little relieved to find out that it was, you know, more of an American construct and, not, mm-hmm. you know, more an Italian-American. Um, but the but I remember going to um, you know a fish market and, and living nearby stores when we first moved back to New York and and uh, everyone putting in the reservation for how however many you know pounds of of bacalan making sure that they got the fish that's quite a process preparing bacala can yes, you just can you describe for us what first of all what it is what bacala is and then the the method of having being able to use it in a recipe. Well, it's a, a cod that's been salted and air dried, and the the best uh, the Italians consider the best to be the ragno spider. Uh, I don't know why it has that name, but huh. it comes from uh, Norway. And um, in order to reconstitute, it's, it's a, a method of preserving fish that goes back to uh, ancient times. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Nor- the uh, Norwegians are famous, and, and the uh, Scandinavians are famous for preparing bacala and um, uh, it's uh, something that you know anyone could afford to buy any time of the year it was always available and so Italians really developed a taste for it so in order to prepare it you have to reconstitute it and that involves soaking the fish uh, in many many changes of fresh clean water to to uh, reconstitute it and to get rid of all of the saltiness. Now, the the traditional way of doing this was <laughs> to put the uh, uh, the bacala in its salty state into the toilet tank, Ooh. where the water is clean <laughs> and fresh and, and constantly flushed <laughs> and constantly flushed. And so you didn't have to remember to keep changing the water because it was done automatically for you. But I don't know if that was um, actually done or if it was just a a myth. But I never saw anyone do it that way. It was always in the (laughs) sink and (laughs) with a a trickle of water running over it. But this would go for a period of uh, a couple of days, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, It depended on on the uh, fish. And you can uh, cut a little piece off and taste it to see how it was if it was desalinated enough to you. All right, that's great. Well, we're going to take a really short break, and when we come back, I want to talk about more of the specific dishes that, that you recall from your childhood that your, perhaps your mother prepared or your grandmother, and, uh, and we'll, we'll continue this talk about the Feast of the Seven Fishes. I'd like to talk to you about another of Bob's Red Mill's great products. Perhaps you're familiar with tapioca in the pearl form, you know, those nice little round balls you find in tapioca pudding. But 
you know there is tapioca flour, very popular in Southeast Asian cooking. And it's a starch, starch of the cassava root that is ground finer into a flour-like consistency. And the tapioca flour renders such a consistent thickening to these fruits. You know, you can use cornstarch, but you could end up with a very soupy pie. And tapioca flour is just one of those things that doesn't break down at lower temperatures. It's always, always consistent, as I said. So the next time you bake a wonderful fruit pie and you use Bob's Red Mill's all-purpose flour for your crust, don't forget to add some Bob's Red Mill tapioca flour to your filling. Trust me, it'll make a good pie. You can find these and other products on their website, bobsredmill.com. And use the code TASTE25 for 25% off your order. Hi, we're back, and I'm speaking with Michelle Chicolone, a cookbook author and a cooking instructor and, and um, a daughter of an Italian-American family, or of an Italian family. She's the American. Um, and Michelle, uh, we talked about the bacala, and, and you said the, um, the conch, the scongili. So right. that was a special dish. Um, now, it's interesting. that's interesting that the only time that you would see it would be at Christmas time. Yeah, I don't know if it was only available. I mean, was it a, was it seasonal? But that was the only time that we uh, that I remember eating it. Although there there was a, a restaurant in New York uh, in Little Italy that used to specialize in it. It was one of their um, big uh, recipes that people would go for. It was called Vincent's, and it was a uh, a seafood restaurant. It was Vincent's Clam Bar. And Vincent's always had the scongili with hot sauce on its menu. So uh, maybe it was just my family that only had it uh, on Christmas Eve, but um, uh, that's what I, I uh-huh. associated with. Yeah, interesting. Um, so what other dishes can you do you remember that, that, or that you still prepare that sort of strike a, uh, you know, one of those tender chords in your memories? Well, uh, my mother always made something really that I loved. It was an escarole pie, and it did have fish in it. It did have anchovies in it, so I guess it qualifies. <laughs> but it was a stuffed pizza, and I'll never forget her uh, making. She would make a, a crust with um, uh, 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 olive oil and um, flour and lots of black pepper. And that would be her crust, and she would fry this, uh, she would fill it with escarole that had been partially cooked, anchovies, garlic, um, olives, uh, and a little bit of hot pepper. And uh, that would be the filling, and she would uh, bake this pie, or actually she would fry it on top of the stove in her black iron skillet. And I can't imagine how much that thing weighed, but she would flip it over and then slide it back into the um, uh, skillet to fry the other side. Because at one time in Naples, uh, they would not have had ovens to bake a pie like this. And so they would have done it on the stovetop. And that's how my mother learned to make it. And it was absolutely delicious. I, I loved escarole pie. In fact, I think I'm going to make it this year. <laughs> and um, so that was a favorite in my family. 
and uh, we had uh, we always had, as I said, the baked clams. Um, the, uh, we always had also um, um, <laughs> the linguine with lobster sauce. And that we would take the the uh, claws from the lobster and any trimmings from the lobster. The tails uh, would be set aside to bake, but the um, the other parts would go into the lobster sauce. And it was a, a typical tomato sauce with garlic and a little bit of hot pepper, which is very typically Neapolitan. Uh, as I said, my family is, was from the Naples area. And then they would add the uh, lobster to flavor the sauce. And uh, so that was always our, our first pasta uh, course, our starter pasta course. And um, what else? We had, um, oh, we also had shrimp cooked with um, breadcrumb and garlic. Or sometimes my mother would fry the shrimp if we were a smaller group, and she would just take them and batter fry them. And that was one of the uh, appetizers or main dishes. It was all, it, it, we had uh, the salads first, the seafood salad and the, the scongili salad. And then we had um, the baked clams. And then there were the, uh, there was the spaghetti with, uh, spaghetti or linguine with uh, lobster sauce and baked lobster and uh, baked clams. And uh, also the um, uh, shrimp were served next. And uh, then we would move on to the desserts. So those are, those are the typical things. And the desserts, of course, were very, very important, equally as important as all of the fish. Although they don't, they don't get credit in the title Feast of the Seven Fishes, but <laughs> everyone was there for dessert as well. Now, what about stuffed calamari? I hear that coming up in a lot of discussions of oh, different people's Oh, yeah. I mean, well, my family homes. didn't do the stuffed calamari so much. I remember them being more in the seafood salad than the stuffed ones. But I do know, uh, I do have friends whose families uh, made stuffed calamari with the breadcrumb stuffing generally, mm-hmm. although there are different uh, variations on it. You could, uh, there's a, a ricotta stuffing that I've seen done, uh, and then it, it's usually cooked in um, tomato sauce. Interesting. And octopus. It always seemed that I, I see pictures of octopus in the center of a, of a platter. Um, yeah. But we, had, we always had octopus, but it was as part of our seafood salad. Once again, all those, all those types got into that salad, right? Yes. It was uh, a whole range of things. Yeah. Uh, um, well, yeah, I'm thinking of, of uh, other, other traditions that families from other places celebrate and certainly on um before a holiday especially the roman catholic tradition i mean fish was always on the table that was that was uh, what someone would eat and you're talking about the scandinavians not being roman catholics necessarily but of course their tradition is with all the the wonderful um herring and um Mm-hmm. And different foods that you say that they're so good at, pre- at preparing those, and of course it grows in the, that they catch in the seas there, which is wonderful. Um, I, I just think it's it's terrific that um, you know that this has become a holiday of its own or a special feast of its own. Now you have traveled to Italy hundreds of times, I mean, hundreds, of, but over forty years you've been traveling. You and your husband to Italy most yes. very regularly. Yes. Um, so, is there anything there in a? Have you spent Christmas Eve there with a, with anyone with a family or? Uh, yes, we were there one year at, at Christmas Eve, and we did not make plans to spend it with friends. 
and I think one of the reasons we we it didn't occur to us that nothing, absolutely nothing, was open except for one sad uh, hotel restaurant, and we wound up just not eating dinner that day, as I recall, because we didn't want to go to the sad-looking hotel <laughs> restaurant, and we decided to just skip it. And fortunately, because everyone was home with their family. It was such a, uh, a, a a tradition that everyone was home with their family. It was not a public holiday by any stretch of the imagination. And everything closed early. The streets were empty. It was really deserted. This was in Naples. But uh, fortunately, the next day, Christmas Day, we, we had been invited to the home of uh, friends uh, for Christmas dinner. And we were very, very grateful that uh, we had a wonderful dinner at their home. The, this uh, family was from Abruzzo originally, and they had some unique tr- uh, Christmas Day traditions that we had not experienced before. Uh, for example, they always began their meal with um, a, a capon broth that had cardoons in it. It had to have cardoons. This oh. was essential to their uh, holiday. And uh, they also had fried cardoons as part of, of the meal. So we learned a lot from uh, uh, visiting with this family, too. The main course was uh, capon, and uh, it was stuffed much as we would stuff a turkey here. And, in fact, a lot of families nowadays do do uh, turkey instead of capon uh, in Italy. Mm. But um, that was a, a wonderful opportunity to be with a family. And for Christmas. them, a nice and a nice switch off from all the fish they get to have. Oh, yeah, of course. That's great, yeah. Um, well, it's it is it's interesting because it's as I said before, it's it's food and family and a wonderful tradition and 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 so many families around this time, whether and no matter what the uh, the religious background too, they have special holiday traditions and it's nice to hear that that this one was so close to everyone's heart when they immigrated to the U.S. that they that they really made it their own and they carried it on and. I really think that uh, Italian Americans uh, celebrate um, the holiday with more fervor than a lot of Italians actually do nowadays. Because huh. in, in order to maintain our Italianness, so to speak, I mean, people don't study the language anymore. But they so the 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 way to keep that uh, connection is through food. That's the easiest way. And um, so I think Italian Americans are much more traditional in some cases than uh, the Italians are. Uh, when I was researching the holiday cooking book, I, I would ask people, well, what do you make on Christmas Day? And they say, oh, well, we're so busy, you know, we, we, always, we, we roast a chicken, you know, or something like that. But I, I had answers like that very frequently, especially as I traveled in northern Italy. Um, so... I like to think that we, uh, I, I would mention certain dishes and they would say, oh, yeah, I remember that. My grandmother used to make it, but we don't make that anymore. We don't cook that way anymore. <laughs> so things, Every, things have changed there a lot. Everyone's just too busy. or well, And also families are dispersed. It was, there was a yes. time when, you know, families all lived close by, right? And, yes, yes, for or, sure. Or in the, you know, in the same apartment building or in, you know, in a compound of homes, you know. Surrounding and you know the same area, mm-hmm. and uh, that's not true anymore. We just we kind of disperse and take jobs all over the country. Uh, yes, 
Yeah. Well, I thank you so much for sharing your stories, and I, I just think it's it's wonderful. I mean, trying to, of course, pin down the origins of the name of this feast, it's kind of like you know <laughs> nailing Jello to a wall. Everybody has their own so. <laughs> their own theory, but but the but the major point remains is that it is a celebration of a wonderful time, and that fish is involved, and people have fish dinners, and lots call and it call it what you want, right? Right, exactly. You know, call it the Feast of... of you 13 know, fishes. Or two, if you only have two <laughs> that night. That works, too. Right. Well, but thank you so much for sharing your stories, Pleasure. Michelle. And no matter what your holidays and traditions are, or even if you're a non-traditionalist at all, I wish you all very happy holidays. And Michelle, I wish you and your husband very happy holidays. Thank you. Same to you and, and yours. Um, again, that my guest is Michelle Chicalone, and she has many books. You can look her up, and you'll see on the website you'll see her name, and you'll be able to um, to go to her. And you have a website as well, or a blog. I do. Yeah, it's just my name, Michelle Chicalone. Michelle Chicalone. Uh, okay, oh, I forgot the e. Sorry, Chicalone. <laughs> and it's S C I C O L O N E. Michelle right. Chicalone. And. Uh, Wonderful recipes, wonderful um, thoughts and, and, and stories and experiences. And again, to all of you out there, very, very happy holidays. And I wanted to let you know that this is our last show for the season. Uh, Heritage Studio will be taking a winter break until mid-January. But come the new year, we have got some great shows lined up for you. Shows especially such as the food of the ancients and the food of the Renaissance, to name a couple. But during the break, remember that you can always listen to all the past episodes by going to heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Cod. I have cod on the the brain, right? It's fish. (laughs) Wherever you get your podcasts. And I wanted to remind you that Heritage is a member-supported network, bringing you the new best news of the food world, past, present, and future. And I hope you'll consider becoming a member or making a donation. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart. Thanks so much. See you next year. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage.